Have you thought about starting your own podcast? Well, if you have, then you want to download Anchor. It's the easiest way that you can make a podcast. They give you everything you need in one place, and it's absolutely for free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll even distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere, like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and others. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you were thinking of starting your own podcast, you want to download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thursday, everyone. Welcome to Shut Up and Grind with your host, Robert B. Foster. So now, we weren't here Tuesday, we weren't here Wednesday. I apologize for that. I know we're usually not here on Thursday, but here we are. And then tomorrow's show will be at 2 p.m. because my guest is on the West Coast. So we're going to do 2 p.m. so they don't have to get up as early and disrupt their day. So, for if you are new to, to the show, if you're joining me on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. If you're joining me on Facebook, please like and share. I have my guest link on there as well um, on my Facebook page. So please follow her work as well. And if you're new to the show, we're all about overcoming obstacles. We get deep into our guest backstory, find out you know whatever it is they had to overcome throughout their life to get to where they are now. And then we take through their current success. So if that sounds great for you, awesome. Hang out for the full hour. You're going to get a lot of great information. And if it's not for you, hang out anyway because we'll change your mind. And if you have no idea who I am, let me introduce myself. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what, like, I want to be able to take this even bigger. If you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. you got to know your work. So before I bring my guest on, you know, we have to do the teachable moment of the day. You know, so today's show, we're going to be talking about parenting. And as you all know, I'm a single parent of five children. And I would never tell anyone how to parent. You know, I'll let the expert tell you how to parent. I'll just share what works for me. And what works for me is consistency. You know, like kids definitely need consistency. So I do that with my kids, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, whatever the rule is, whatever the standard is it sticks. And, and it has to stick because you can't be yes on Monday, no on Tuesday, yes on Wednesday, no on Thursday. 
because there's there's no consistency there. And then the kids don't learn how to respect authority. And then they grow up not not understanding that there's highs and lows in life. And then that leads to not having coping skills. And then when life eventually smacks you in the face, they don't know how to deal with it. So being consistent. And then, like I said, I'm just sharing what works in my household. Because people always tell me, like, how the hell do you deal with five kids? And that's that's a big reason is consistency. Is like I said, you can't you can't be yes one day, no no the next day, or be a stickler for for this thing one day and then not the next. Like you got to be be consistent. So that's my teachable moment. When when I bring on the expert, we'll we'll see uh, see what she says, and then we'll go from there. So helping me have that conversation, she is the host of the Mindful Mama Mentor podcast. I read the wrong one. The mindful parenting called you know what i'm just gonna bring her in because i can't read this thing <laughs> so welcome hunter clark fields to the show <laughs> hey robert thanks for having me <laughs> all right look see i'm 47 years old i'm getting up there and this is stupid because my glasses are right here and i didn't have them on and when i switched over to where your bio was i, I just couldn't read it <laughs> so what are, what are the down the downsides of doing doing lives is you just have to own your mistakes <laughs> so how are you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Where are you joining us from? Uh, I live uh, in northern Delaware, just outside of Philadelphia. Oh, that's right. I think I saw on your Facebook page. You're from Bristol, Rhode Island. Yeah. Do you know I, Rhode Island? I'm in Cranston. No way. My mom <laughs> grew up in Cranston. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I grew up in Bristol, the home of the really big Fourth of July parade. Yes. No kidding. Small world. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I didn't know she had Rhode Island ties. That's awesome. That's great. Robert, do you know the Rhode Island song? Oh, boy. Rhode Island song. I don't think I do. You know, we've got, obviously, we've got Coffee Milk and we've got Dells. Yeah. But there's a song. There's like a URI song that's hilarious. It goes, um, I'm Rhode Island born and I'm Rhode Island bred. And when I die, I'll be Rhode Island dead. Because Rhode Island Island, Rhode Island Island, Rhode Island Island, Rhode Island URI. I love it. I actually went to URI. There you go. You should have known that. Yeah, like once you started going, I'm like, that does ring a bell. But I mean, that was a couple of decades ago. That's awesome. Great way to start. All right. So. So you're in Delaware now. What what brought you there? I went to school at University of Delaware and met my husband there. I went back up to New England for a little while for graduate school and then came back down here. I live in like kind of a funky little artist community, actually. (laughs) And it's really, really a nice place. And it's a lot warmer than Rhode Island. Yes. Oh, I I know. Like, I I love it here until that winter hits from like, like December to March. I'm like, I'm out of here. Like, as soon as these kids are grown, like, I'm out of (laughs) here. So, oh, man. All right. So, let's get to know you a little bit better here. So, how would you describe yourself if I say who is Hunter? Well, um, yeah, I, you know, the bio is I'm the the author of Raising Good Humans and I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course and the host of the Mindful Mama podcast. And um, yeah, and that all that all and that all stems from really kind of like a a real challenge, actually. So overcoming obstacles is sort of a a perfect medium for me to talk about. But I, I used to work as a fine artist, as a painter, had chosen I had work and shows in New York and different things like that. And uh, 
and 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 that all pivoted from like a major challenge for me okay well we'll, we'll definitely get into that major challenge all right taking my notes all right so what did you see yourself doing as, as a child for a career <laughs> I thought I was going to be a children's book illustrator. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because first, I like to. I've heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> I like to draw. I loved reading. Like I was super into books and and reading and and so I don't know. I thought I was kind of this like weird kid, you know. Like a lot of people say they're they're pushed to be like a lawyer or a doctor, and my I was kind of pushed to be an artist. Like that was like my dad's dream for me. <laughs> Like I, I usually get lawyer, doctor, singer, actor, athlete. I usually get one of those five. <laughs> so this is the first time child book illustrator. I love it. So what was your favorite book? Oh, as a kid? Yeah. Oh gosh. I don't know. I mean, I was uh I was I really loved um Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. That was really like one of my favorite books I read all over and over again. I loved, love, love Watership Down. Oh, yeah. About, oh, that's so yeah. good. I got to reread that out loud recently with my daughter <laughs> last year, and it was so fun to read it again. I loved it. I love that book. <laughs> I can tell your face a little lit up when you started talking about it. <laughs> How many kids do you have? I have two daughters, 11 and 14 right now. Ooh, no fun ages. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's a really it's a really actually a really nice time. Like I, I think this is, you know, every, every time has its challenges, but I think this is a nice time. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, like I, I have a 14-year-old daughter as well. I have twin boys who are 12, and then the older ones I have a 19-year-old daughter and a 22-year-old son. Oh, and wow. and you're right, each stage has different there's just different dimensions to each stage, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get into that later. All right. So child book illustrator. So how would you describe your, your upbringing? Oh, uh, really? Uh, I don't know. In a lot of ways, it was like very, very funky and had a lot of freedom. I got to like run around Bristol. We have, I lived not far from a small little rocky beach and I used to mm -hmm. like, go down there. I used to go down to the candy store <laughs> and buy bubblegum a lot and play, you know, just, a, we had a lot of freedom. Um, but, you know, thinking about parenting, you know, my parents had a lot of the tools that, uh, you know, everyone of general, our sort of generation, their parents had, which was a lot of like the behaviorists, like uh, kind of using sort of threats or punishments and spankings and things like mm -hmm. that. And that, um, for me, it was like a, a real disconnect between this encouragement to like have this creativity and this freedom. And then, then, you know, I, there would be this kind of like harsh discipline that was really hard for me to handle. Like I was a very hard, highly sensitive, highly sensitive person, right? HSP. And I was a highly sensitive kid. And so I felt things really deeply in it. And that was, um, that was really hard for me. And it was actually, it's kind of funny. Like I had all the you know, there's research about uh, things like uh, corporal punishment and spanking now and, and the, the things that it sort of like you're, the kids who have that are more likely to do drugs in high school and like have, you know, all these these challenges. And like, man, did I do all those things in high school? <laughs> it was really amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So we had 
<laughs> we had a belt called the Black Master. <laughs> that, that's what we got. We got our, our punishment from. Well, th this was when I was when I was growing up, and uh, I mean, out of seven of us, I'm one, one of seven, and really wow. only only one of us, one of my siblings, got into trouble. You know, all the rest of us didn't. So, you know, we can uh, get into that. But all right, so highly sensitive person. So how how would you how would you describe yourself now? Has has that changed any? I think I'm. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm still a highly sensitive person, and I can see like my kids are. But I I was able to start my meditation practice like at 27 years old, and I had been reading about mindfulness and things like that for a decade before then. And you know, until I was 27, basically for all of my life. It, um, I was really like on this kind of roller coaster, like really I would be up, but then I'd hit these real lows and hit these pits. Mm -hmm. um, like every week, every, uh, every other week, it was pretty regularly that it felt like, like I couldn't handle life. Like it was just too much for me. I, um, I remember my dad actually, like when I was 10 or 11, like I had been crying and crying and crying. I remember him rubbing my back and telling me, you know, Hunter, um, he was trying to comfort me. He was being really sweet, but he said, um, you know, Hunter, this is like your artistic temperament and life is going to always be like this. And I was like, Oh, great. Thanks. <laughs> but, but it, it was true. It was true until like I, I started until I did my meditation practice. And what happened for me is that after a couple of months of practicing regularly, finally sitting down 10 minutes, every day or so and practicing, I, I was like, after a couple of months, I was so frustrated. I was like, I just sit here thinking the whole time. This is BS. I can't do this right. Like nothing's happening for me. And, and I'm not even doing it right. But then I looked back at the rest of my life and during that time and these pits that I had regularly fallen into, like literally for my whole life, I hadn't had any of them at all for like two or three months. And that was amazing for me. It was a huge life-changing game changer for me in that it really helped me to, you know, even out, get on a more even keel, like surf those waves and not get like pulled into like a downward spiral of rumination um, and not believe my thoughts so much. I mean, it was pretty amazing. The, it was a really very profound change for me. So it made a big impact. Nice. Just write, writing down. I like that surf those waves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's not like it changed that I don't change my ability to feel all the things that we feel as human beings. Like it's not easy to be an alive human being. Like you feel <laughs> it's true. like everybody suffers, right? We feel so much like there's, there's so many challenges that happen. We deal with all these like wonderful feelings, but we also deal with anxieties and fears and anger and all these different things. And that's just part of life. Like, like pain is going to happen in life and physical pain, emotional pain, all those different things. But we can change, uh, we can change, you know, we, we're going to have pain in life, but we don't have to necessarily suffer from that, right? Yes. And that's what meditation and mindfulness really shifts and changes. We don't, we, we 
we expand this sort of window of tolerance and we make it so that we can, it's kind of like this, like, I kind of think of it as this like ancient brain hack, you know, <laughs> you just sit still long enough, you, you, you stop, like every, all the kind of mud settles. It's really amazing. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Like in my fitness classes, I'm going to say, say the word breathe. I can't tell you how many times per day. It's like, just if you just breathe, it makes it easier. You know, just, just equating it to stress. Like say we're doing a wall set or we're holding a plank or something. And I always tell people, just let, just let your mind go and just breathe. And you'll be surprised how long you can stay on that wall, you know, or how long you can hold that, that plank. But if you're just like, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. <laughs> Guess what? It's going to suck. <laughs> and you're going to end up quitting in half the time than, than what you can actually handle. And, and, and I feel that's the same way with stress. And that's why I try to make that comparison to tell people when you go into a turmoil in life, you like you have to get to the other side of it. But if you just stay there and just let it consume you, and that doesn't that doesn't give you an um I'm sorry, you're not making the steps to get through it. You know, it's kind of like if you take two weights and you just hold it out and just hold it out and just hold it out, at some point your shoulders are gonna be on fire. And that's what it's like holding on to stress. You know, so I just try to tell people, just lean into your breath, let your mind wander, and you'll be surprised what you can handle. Yeah, I mean, that's an incredibly skillful teaching because, like, what you're really, like, pointing to is, like, and that's what mindfulness really helps us with is, like, like our body's nervous system, right? Like, when you're you're putting your, the, your, your, the workout participants through, they're putting, going into a moment of stress, right? Because you're stressing your body and your muscles and like a physical stress like that can be very much the same as a mental stress and emotional stress. And really what it is like the body's nervous system is turning on that fight, flight, or freeze say, thing saying yes. like, oh, there's a threat. You have to be alert to that. And what happens is like, we tend to be like, no, 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 no. Like we resist it. Like, I don't want to yeah. feel this. I don't want to feel this. We <laughs> avoid it. Right. I don't want to feel this. And what your instruction does is helps them to start shift that fight, flight, or freeze response into the opposite uh, nervous system response, which is the rest and relax response. So as you breathe, which you, you can't do in like an, a truly threatening situation, right? Like where yeah. you're, you know, <laughs> that proverbial saber tooth tiger is popping out, right? Like, <laughs> You, but when you do breathe, you're you're literally changing the changing the direction of the nervous system, and 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 shifting that. And that's really what mindfulness helps us to to do as well is to like uh, to be aware of oh I'm having this nervous system response, and I have got some tools in my pocket, and I can turn that nervous system response around. Okay, love it. All right. So when did you get into this, to this field? Uh, well, so I started, I was, uh, like a yoga teacher at 27. That's when I started my meditation practice yeah. and I got into contributing to parenting when, uh, when I was really suffering and frustrated. So like when my daughter was, you know, 18 months, two years old, my first daughter, this temper came out of me. You know, and I was like, I was yelling, I was scaring her and I could see that I could see that I was scaring her. I could see that it was causing like damage to our relationship. Right. Like, and this was 
because of my upbringing, like this is exactly what I didn't want. Like this was my father's temper coming out of me. Like I remember like hiding behind a door and being scared as he came down the hall, if his, this temper was triggered and, you know, and so this was exactly what I didn't want, but it was really interesting because I could see that I could see that because of my upbringing, when she got upset and had big feelings, uh, it felt like unacceptable to me because that's what the message I was given, right? That it's not okay to be upset and have big feelings. So it really like in my body, it felt like this is unacceptable. I can't, you know, and that's when I would get triggered. And then I was like perpetuating the whole pattern. So I was like, this is a mess. You know, I, once I got up off the floor, I was so like, I felt ashamed that I had scared her, I scared her. I felt guilty. And I realized like, okay, I've got to have some tools here. So I wrote, really dove into how to parent in a more skillful way and like how to, how to calm my reactivity. Cause I really saw like, so as I started diving into these tools, I'm like, okay, I want to respond this way. You know, there are all these great parenting coaches saying, just like respond this way. This is a good way to respond. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great. But I can't do that when I'm losing it. Like, and I, you can't do that because of that fight, flight, or freeze stress response. It's really fascinating. It actually cuts off access to the uh, the the problem solving, you know, verbal empathetic parts of your yeah. brain, right? It like just literally like bypasses that. So <laughs> I saw that this world of like how to parent more skillfully, how to respond more skillfully, really needed this work that I had done then for many years with mindfulness of how to calm our reactivity, how to do those inside out changes, how to have habits that steady the heart and the mind and the nervous system, right? Like these things really needed to come together. So that's where my work comes from. Okay. And what was your, your career before that? I... Uh, well, I went to graduate school in Boston at Mass College of Art, and I was a art artist and art teacher. Uh, I taught uh, I taught art in high school for a couple of years, but as a highly sensitive person, I it, before I had my meditation practice, it was like too much for me. I actually had some panic attacks in the high school parking lot, <laughs> and I was an a an artist. And actually, so it was really interesting because some of the artwork that I got a little bit, you know, in, in a small way was, um, was work that was for me, I worked things out visually at that time was me wrestling with my temper, my anger. And I did these, uh, paintings of, of, pregnant women, nude bodies with like predator animal heads, you know, working out this, I was very, I was fascinated with this idea that, that like we as humans, we are so hard on ourselves for our, all the feelings we have. We're hard on ourselves for our, our temper, right? We're, we, we're hard on ourselves for that stress response, but like a, a predator or an animal, like another, some other animal, like no one's, they're not like getting down on themselves for getting like chasing, you know, and <laughs> you know, like, or in it. And it was also, you know, the idea of like eating meat for me was part of it. Like, you know, I wanted to be conscious and I wanted to be, do, you know, have a diet that's, that's good for the planet. And that's has, you know, uh, ha, you know, it was kind of like, I didn't want to 
I, I would prefer not to have to eat meat, but like this whole idea of like, you know, uh, I don't know, a, a, a lioness does not like shame and blame herself for, for taking care of her needs and like going after an animal or <laughs> for, for snarling or whatever. Right. And I just started to, cause we are animals. Right. And, and why, you know, so it was interesting. I was kind of wrestling with a lot of different ideas and that was in my artwork, but I, I stopped to, to, uh, when I got pregnant and I was like, okay, we can, I can mm -hmm. parent full time. Let's try it out. Okay. All right. So getting back to the parenting part. So now I'm, I'm a certified facilitator in true colors, which is a personality assessment, very mm -hmm. similar to like Myers-Briggs and DISC and all them. They, they all say the same stuff. It's just different. It's just a different layout. And what I found is everyone's different, <laughs> you know? So it's like you have the four major personality types and you already mentioned one of them being a highly sensitive person. You know, we call them the feelers. And then you have the thinkers, you have the leaders and the doers. Mm. And, and, and I find no having five, five kids, like I can see, I can see the mixture. Like my oldest daughter, she's a feeler. You know, my middle daughter, she's she's gonna be a leader like she's going to be so i i always tell her she she's a C, ceo in training mm -hmm. because she definitely has that that boss personality <laughs> whereas like my old my oldest son like he's he's a type like he needs he needs a kick a kick in the pants like he just does if you let him sit all sit all day he'll sit all day but if i'm like dude we got stuff to do then then he'll get up and get get going you know and then with the twins it's funny because they're they're twins, but they're totally opposite. <laughs> totally opposite. Like Ricky, Ricky's a go-getter, and he always has been ever since he was little, little. Like I'll just tell, tell this quick story. So we had the baby gate in the doorway. I want to say they were a little, they were both walking. So they were probably about 15, 16 months at this point. And, and Benjamin's more analytical. And so Benjamin's looking at the lock, trying to figure out how to unlock the gate. Ricky comes flying like a bat out of hell and just knocks it over. I was like, that couldn't illustrate any more perfectly how different these kids are. <laughs> you know? And so, so I found in, in my parenting style and in what I knew from the personality assessments is that I got to approach these, these guys all in different ways. Mm -hmm. Like I can't, can't just stand up with one iron fist and think that they're all going to react the same. Mm -hmm. Like it's not. So when speaking with my oldest daughter, you know, I, I got to you know keep in mind that she's a feeler, you know. So if I come at her too, too aggressively, like she's not she's not going to get that message with my older son. If I don't come at him aggressively, he's not going to react. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that like this is what you're describing is really skillful. And what you're trying to what you're doing is you're you're trying to you're what you're saying is that like I'm in relationship with each of these different people and they're all really different. Right. And that's like what you're describing is kind of being in relationship with these kids rather than like I am a parent and you, you are a child and we are I'm in this role and I have to make you do this thing. Like so it, when we can shift into I'm relationship with a human being, this human being and what you're describing is bringing curiosity to each of them. And that's like a core component of mindfulness is non-judgment or curiosity, right? And this idea that if we can bring 
curiosity, if we can start to see our kids with fresh eyes, if we, we can say to ourselves, like, who are you today? Like, can I be curious about who you are, right? That is this incredibly powerful thing. Can I be sensitive to what is it that you need, right? Versus what is it that your brother or your sister needs? Like, and can I, and that takes a lot of awareness. That takes uh, some, some giving yourself some time to, take breaks to like have rest to um and and also bring this attitude of awareness and curiosity to the kids you're in relationship with and that's a really important value actually of mindful parenting is this idea that sometimes we get into this idea that i'm in this role now of parent and i'm supposed to do it this particular way right and or i'm gonna and, and so I have to be this particular way. And, and so we kind of get stuck into these kind of the either how we were conditioned from our own family, how we're conditioned from society, or or I should be doing it this this particular way. And we we forget to bring in like this curiosity and awareness of like, um, let me slow down. Let me like start to 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 be to be curious, who is this child in front of me? What are their needs? What are they trying to say? Like this behavior that's driving me bananas and is super irritating and annoying. It's something that is meeting some need, right? Like our kids do things because they're trying to meet their needs. So can I understand like why, what's going on before I like come down with some you know, respond maybe the way my parents might have responded to me, can I start to say like, huh, what's going on with my child? Maybe I can acknowledge what's happening for them and then we can have a conversation. Does that make sense? Like that, yeah. what, that's what you're bringing. It's that wonderful curiosity and that relationship with, which is really what we need to do. Yes, and one of the most powerful words you said there was awareness. You know, it's like being, a, being aware of how your child processes information. Like, like, again, going back to my oldest daughter, the feeler, like she, she, she needs a moment. You know, it's like my young, my younger daughter, if she's feeling something, it comes out immediately. And <laughs> like, that's, that's just how she is. But with, with Olivia, she, she needs time. And then when she's ready to open up, she'll open up. And if you try to like force her to open up, she's just going to clam up even more. So it's like, mm -hmm. all right, it's like, let her be. Just let her go in her room. She'll listen to music. And when the time comes, then she'll be like, you know, can we talk? Sure. And yeah, yeah. Kids, yeah, go ahead. And you're talking about that, like that awareness and then the awareness of, and, and it can go like, it can go many levels deep, like the awareness of like, um, what's going on for my child, but also what's going on for me? Like, am I just, am I thinking like, I'm having a thought that, like my child is manipulating me or they're doing this just to get, get me right. Like yeah. to get my goat. <laughs> and oftentimes that's not true. And that's not really a helpful thing, but that might be a thought that like it was conditioned in you from your family or from your society. And so it really helps to kind of understand like, like this thing my child did that feels totally unacceptable to me. Like, is it more stuff I'm bringing to the table? Like, 
some other person might not be so upset about this like orange juice on the floor or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But for me, I'm feeling like they're disrespecting my house. They don't care about me. I'm telling all these stories to myself. So this, what, what bringing a mindfulness practice to parenting really does, it helps us to not only like calm our reactivity, right? To build a muscle of calming that reactivity, being able to step into that place between stimulus and response to be actually able to like have the muscle to be able to do that pause, right? It's a practice. It really is a lot like, like your gym practice, like taking care of your body, right? We build that muscle of ability to be able to pause. And then that awareness and that taking that time to kind of understand like, oh, understand myself, I'm bringing this to the table. <laughs> and that's what our kids do to us. They're like, darling, mommy, daddy, like, here's your issue. And here's your other issue. And here's your issue, right? Like, <laughs> the things that we get really triggered by, we have to start to turn it around back to ourselves and say, why does this make me so crazy? Like, what is it about me and my life and my history? Like, why does this make me crazy? And, and when we can then we can start to like heal that stuff in ourselves, then we can just we can be more free to like really see with clarity what's happening and not like kind of clouded by the the filter of like our past. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And that and that's huge because a lot of parents don't want to hear that. Like they don't they don't want to hear that I have to check myself. Like one of one of the, the moms from my gym clients said this was maybe a year ago. She's like, she's like, Rob, you know, I've got got a problem. I'm like what? She's like, you know, my kids will only eat certain things. I said, that's because you allowed that. <laughs> you know, it's that's just how that is. Like having five kids, people are saying, oh, God, your grocery bill must be out of this world. I'm like, no, like, because I shop enough for each day. Like my, my grocery store is two tenths of a mile that way. <laughs> and so I drive by it six times a day going to, to and from the gym to teach my classes. So I, I buy in very small doses. That way they can't overeat. You know, or, or while while I'm at the gym, it's not it's not a free for all. So I set it up so it can't happen. You know, and so with all of my kids, I'm curious to, to know what you'll what you'll think of this. Well, I should, I should say with my first kid, when he he was a baby and he, he transitioned to food, you know, like we gave him all the sweet foods first, and mm -hmm. then he, he started rejecting the vegetables. Mm -hmm. You know, like you put them in, spit them right right back out. So when my daughter was born, I did it in reverse. And I gave her the vegetables first and then introduced the sweets maybe a month later. So for the first month, she had all veggies. And then once we introduced the sweets, she would still eat both. Mm -hmm. You know, and even now to this day, my oldest son despises vegetables. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So do you think there's any any link link there? Well, I'm definitely not a nutrition expert, but right. I there are some things like I know that I know that it's one thing that we want to think about, like with food, is that like we can control what and when generally, and they can control if and how much, right? Like, yeah. like the whole thing that our parents did of like, just take one more bite of that broccoli and then you'll get this. Like, that's not mm -hmm. a great strategy because it teaches them that, you know, this undesired, I have to eat this undesirable thing. I'm going to make myself eat it. And that kind of sets up a bad situation with being aware of my body's fullness, what I would like, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. So what we want to think about is like one thing we did in our family, which I thought 
was very helpful is this idea of like, you don't have to eat it, but you must taste it. And we taught them that like, you know, mm. your palate changes like, and you don't like things that a lot of things at first, nobody in the world liked beer or coffee the first time they tasted it. And, <laughs> you know, like nobody liked that. And so, yeah, like with my second child, I gave her a lot more vegetables first. And uh, that's really a great idea. But the whole idea of like, just take a, a little bite and you're allowed to totally spit it out if you don't like it. But but you can just just take a bite so that you train your palate to to learn to like different things. Yes. And I also think parents like happily we have moved away from like the old school strategy of like boiling summer squash or zucchini <laughs> and then just like saying put some butter and salt and pepper on it. And and now we can ro we roast a lot more, which is like mm. so much yummier. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> <So true. laughs> we just need to make you know make our food taste better as well like we can work on that ourselves <laughs> love it yeah it's like you know i i do my best to not make things that that the kids don't don't like but if i find a new recipe you know it's like i'll make it i'll say try it i was like if you can get through it i prefer to not waste it <laughs> but if you absolutely can't like me i despise onions anything that has onions in it i will not eat and even if i'm eating at so someone else's house i'll be like i respectfully i can't like it, it makes my stomach so upset. Like I can't mm. do it, you know? So if there are things that they just can't eat, then I don't force the issue. But I'm mm. like, it, like, if you just, like it wouldn't be your first choice, but you can get through it, go ahead and eat it. And then, and then I'll know I'll never make it again. You know? So it's, it's not like I'm in the habit of giving them stuff that they don't like to your point with the broccoli. If the kid like doesn't like broccoli, don't make them broccoli, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does take a while to build up a taste for broccoli if you have like really young kids. Mm. So you can can say, just give it a taste. You know, sometimes it takes like five to 10 times of tasting something before you like something. Think about coffee. None of us liked coffee. I, I still I like mean, coffee. <laughs> I'm one of those select few that don't drink. Yeah, I, I worked at Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> at the end of my street. So <laughs> gotcha so yeah. you were around it all day and you gave in <laughs> oh yes 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 <laughs> all right so what what so what came first the podcast or the book the podcast came first um right. yeah and the podcast came started uh in the way back in the beginning i was teaching yoga classes and I was driving to my yoga classes and I was starting to listen to podcasts. And the only things available for yoga at that time were like live classes that were available on podcasts. And I didn't want to listen to that, but I wanted to listen to people talk about mindfulness, talk about the different, like the, not just the physical yoga practice and all the other pieces. So I just like, well, I'll make this. <laughs> I'll make this podcast. And Love I started it. interviewing. My first interview was with one of my students. And I would I recorded it in the yoga studio because it was like very quiet. It was like a basement place. And it, it had great soundproofing. But it was it's been wonderful. Like since then, as I started to like transition and change, I've been able to it's so fun to like, I've been able to talk to so many people who are incredible help to me, like, you know, world renowned experts. You know, I've had Dr. Dan Siegel on. He's talked to like the Dalai Lama, you know, and, mm. and he's come on my podcast twice and he's a wonderful person. And it awesome. really is such a great connector. And uh, obviously I love to talk. So it, it's fun <laughs> for me. <laughs> Works for me as well. Same, same thing. As I mentioned, when they closed the gyms down last year, I was like, 
all right, I can just sit, sit here and cry about this or we can pivot and do something else. And so we started doing something else. And like I told you backstage, I started with just one, one show. It was just on Wednesdays. And then I joined this Facebook group and the admin allowed us to promote in the group because not all groups allow that. And so it's like, all right, I just put up just one post and I, and I booked that one day out for like four months. I was like, oh, so I was like, all right, let me add a second day and then booked that one out. <laughs> and then I added a third day. And even now I'm doing four and I'm booking into late March, early April of 2022. Like it's, it's insane. Mm. so but like when you first start you just get that imposter syndrome like all right who's gonna who's gonna want to li listen to me when joe rogan's out there and shannon sharp is out there like all these celebrities are out there with their podcast but like we're being heard in 28 different countries now you know what i mean it's it's insane yeah it's fun to see like where people listen and to see the different downloads in different countries and to yeah. just reach out to this sort of like global world it's really amazing really is right at your fingertips it's awesome all right so what was your motivation for writing your book well i first created the mindful parenting course to like bring in all i as i started like kind of sharing my story i eventually did uh i i i started doing all these trainings like i wanted to learn i got a certified as a parent effectiveness training teacher i'm a certified mindfulness meditation teacher i did some coaching training and I started to work with clients on these things and I've made it into this course. And I, because that piece about how to calm our reactivity, how to, you know, take care of our big feelings, how to understand our triggers, this all really needed to talk to the communication piece. And so I'll start with the course. And then I started to take, I took the eight modules of the course and I started to bring it into the, into the book. And the book is short. It's not like, you know, it's less than 200 pages. It's like a lot of exercises and it's, and in it, I think people are resonating with the fact that, you know, I was sucking at this job. That was the most important <laughs> thing to me. Like, I was this person, I was used to pre being pretty good at doing things. You know, I could get the good grades and I, did grad school and I could do all these different things. And then I get then these like little human beings are like bringing me to my knees and I couldn't just choose how I wanted to be right. Like there were all these like patterns and habit energies that were preventing me from just deciding how I want to be and doing it. And so I had to like deal with that. And so I think people really resonate with there's a lot of compassion in there because this is not easy. Like it brings up so much for us. It's really hard for us, you know, and we're not going to do it perfectly. Like I still don't do it perfectly. Nobody's going to do it perfectly. And it's not something we can do perfectly. Like the very best we can do is good enough. Like that's maximum <laughs> parenting is like good enough parenting. And that's okay. Cause like, that's what our kids need. They need, they actually, like, if, if we were perfect all the time, they would say, well, what's wrong with me? Why do I have all these big feelings? Why, why do I make mistakes and mess up? You know, mom or dad, like they're, they're just right here. And I, there must be something wrong with me. So they need us to see us like make mistakes and fail and then come back and repair and, and learn how to recover and take care of those things. You know, they need to see, like that process of us healing our own wounds 
and becoming more peaceful, becoming more grounded. Like that's an awesome process for our kids to see us in our humanity, becoming a better person. Like that's an incredibly powerful journey for kids to watch. See, and, and I think also too, like when you just said, well, well, what is wrong with me as the parent? One thing I always say is that sometimes the expectation is too high for the age. It's like pe people have to remember oh, it takes 18 years before we even label them a somewhat adult. <laughs> 18 years, you know, that's a long time. So for my 12-year-old boys, I mean, yes, I've been telling them since they were four, did you put on deodorant? Did you brush your teeth? It's, it's the same thing every single day, every day. And it's like, guys, like I've been telling you this for seven years now, seven and a half <laughs> years, and it hasn't yet registered before you leave for school to put on deodorant and brush your friggin' teeth. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that that's, that's why they need us. <laughs> they need us. If your if your standard is here, that you expect the room to be clean and you expect the dishes to be done and you expect everything thing to be done, and when it's not, you can go rip roaring mad. But it's like again, your expectation is too high for the age. <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> and I so feel you about the repetition of things, yes. and it's incredibly <laughs> frustrating. But like, kids are by definition immature. Like that is like, they are by definition, they're not mature. Their brains don't mature into the, into their twenties. Yeah. Right. And so it seems it's some, like, we don't realize how crazy it is. Like, we're like, um, I need you to be perfect. I need you to stop crying and you to calm down when we can't like, that's exactly. BS. Like that's nuts. Exactly. You know, none of us, like, I don't, if, if you were in my house and I said, Hey, Robert, we got to go and it's time to put on your shoes. And you didn't like respond instantly to that. I wouldn't get all mad at you and pissy because I would grant you a little grace. Like that's what we do with adults as humans. We, we cut each other slack, but yeah. for some reason with kids, we have this mindset of like, Oh, instant obedience, right? Or, or, and I should only have to say something once, which is bananas. None of us get to like learn something like instantly the first time, like what adult learns something perfectly instantly the first time. Yet we have this expectation for kids. Like that doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's like what a mindfulness practice kind of helps us to like see these, the stuff that we're carrying. Like, this is like what I mean by like this filter we're carrying. Like, are you carrying a filter of like, oh, I would never expect my partner, my spouse to like jump up instantly when I ask them to do something. But with my kids, not only do I not ask, I command them. And then I get all upset that they're not like instantly obedient. Like there's a real disconnect there with the way that the, th the things we expect from children and the things we expect from adults. We got, we're going to have to repeat ourselves a bazillion different times. So we might as well be repeating language that we want to hear her, you know, repeated back to us or language we want to hear um, used with their younger siblings, right? We might as well be using skillful language that, you know, we want them to, to use because you're going to have to repeat yourself. That's just part of the frustrating process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I open the bathroom door and this towels on the floor. And I'm like, boys, <laughs> it's like, I don't understand why this is so hard. Like there's a towel rack right here. 
They're like, it's right here. <laughs> and they constantly, they get out of the shower, drop the towel on the floor every single time. You know, I had a podcast guest on that was so instructive, or actually, I don't know if I've even, anyway, his, his name is Aaron and he runs a treatment center for kids who have really had incredible troubles, who have had um, a lot of suicide and things like that. And, um, and I'm not gonna remember the name of it, but I want to give him a shout out. But he, what he said to me is like, how, so I asked him, I said, how can we prevent our kids from getting to your treatment center? <laughs> right? Like, I don't want my kids to get <laughs> to the it. point where they're like done all those drugs and are suicidal. How do we prevent our kids from getting to this point? And he had two things that were incredibly important that I thought was so interesting. And one of the first thing he said was our own self-care, right? Like taking care of ourselves so that we can be this like grounded presence so that we can have what you described earlier, that awareness of like, who are you as a person, this curiosity, right? So if we take care of ourselves, we fill our own cup, we we go to the gym, we, we get our yayas out, we, we take care of ourselves, then we can have the energy, the presence of mind, et cetera, to give to our children. And the second thing he said was a group of adult friends for you to talk to, for you to be around, for you to be able to get your own stuff out, for you to say, what the heck is wrong with my kids? Why can't they ever pick up their towels? You know, like to have that like sounding board so that then you can come and be with your kids and you can be more present, more grounded. And I thought, oh my God, this is exactly what I've been teaching. And this is what he's saying for like the very you know, worst, you know, this is like for the most challenging kids out there. It's the same stuff. It all comes back to us grounding ourselves and healing ourselves. Yes. So in my opening speech, I mentioned coping skills. How, how do you feel about the way this younger generation and I can't I can't lump them all in the same box, but how but how they cope? Because we're the parents. <laughs> we're the parents of this of this age group, you know, so so it's like, what do you what do you attribute it to? Because like uh, teen suicide is like highest, highest it's been in a while and you know, there's just so so many other factors that that are going going into it, and I always equate it back to lack of coping skills. But where do you think it stems from, in your opinion? I don't know. I mean, that's there's so many factors, right? It's such a complex issue. You know, there's so many different things that are attributing, it. and it's a not a great. It's not, it's a scary world, right? Like our planet, my teens, your teens are dealing with you know, the idea that they may be living with incredibly terrible storms and sea levels rising. And that's really scary. Like that's a, it's a, it's a legitimate, very real fear that they have. Um, our kids learn a lot from us, right? Like we are modeling in every moment how to be in the world. Right. And you know, we've got to have our own coping skills and then we can share those coping skills with our kids. If we are always looking at the phone, if we are, you know, coping with like a drink at the end of the night or, you know, all those, you know, doing all this blocking things like, like just distracting ourselves constantly, you know, with, with all the things that we do, then they're not going to learn it from us. Right. We didn't have the, we didn't have the, you know, 
uh, the whole world at our fingertips, right? Like the most powerful computer and the most interesting distractions of the world always at our fingertips, but they do. And so we, but the thing is we have to model and teach them how to take breaks, how to turn this off, how to take care of ourselves. We have to talk about that stuff because that's like their own emotional regulation and their own like uh, critical thinking, all that stuff, like being able to talk, that's like the most important thing our kids need in this world. And they need like connections, IRL with other people, right? So we have to prioritize that in our own lives and model that for him them. So like in our house, we take a screen-free Sunday. So we take a, a break. Like we take a break from the phones. We don't have TV. We don't use the internet. And it's just like to take a breather from this constantly connected world and connect with like the real world, like real people we see in person, <laughs> like trees and, you know, animals and all those different things. And like that is so healing and so we have to model all those things that are really healthy coping skills for for us love it yeah and just to add on to that is to give them a positive outlet you know things like being in nature or just something so simple like like what because i live by roger williams park hmm. and so i'll walk over there with with the boys like we'll skip rocks in the lake you know just just doing something where we're together and that's that's so I, I think that's so important. It's so important because so many times kids are just plopped down with their device and, you know, pa parents don't don't take that. And again, I can't lump all, all parents together. This is just what I see. If I'm like out, out and about in a store and the kids having a tantrum and the, the parent just hands them the phone, you know, it's like like that's not working through that. Like you're just putting a bandaid on it and the kids know it. if I just pitch a fit, I'll, I'll get the phone. You know, so it's like, I, I, yeah, always... yeah, no, I, it breaks my heart to see like a toddler in a stroller with a device, like going for a walk in a beautiful place. I have yeah. a lot of compassion for the parent in the grocery store. Like that sucks. Like you've got embarrassment. All that stuff is happening. I don't know what's happening in your life. Maybe, you know, maybe who knows, but yeah, no, I get, we don't want that to be, we don't want that to be the go-to like, let's yeah. just shut them down and and plug into this distraction world to like see a toddler walking through roger williams park with in a stroller with with a, a device is breaks my heart because that should be that's that's depriving that kid of like the the walk itself should be the interesting thing right exactly. like you're really shifting you're really changing the brain and that's going to have negative repercussions down the line it's going to escalate you know i think it's really important to like it's kind of like the screens are like our the equivalent of like sugar you know we, oh, we yeah. know we don't want True. kids to have like before the age of two we basically want to like keep as much you know as if we get to zero screen time and zero sugar for the age of two like that's like kind of the north star the thing we're going for because we know that even though it's something we crave, it's something we like, it, it feels really good. We didn't evolve to get like the doses of it that we have in this day. And that those are damaging. So, so true. Like I just, I just share, share a quick story and then we'll, we'll start to bring it down. So my oldest daughter, she had a softball tournament up in upstate New York. And so my, my ex brought her, the twins were, were with me. And so as we're getting to the, to the venue, 
the twins asked me, like, can, can we bring in our iPods? And I said, no. And I said, we're going to go to watch your sister. And so we go inside. And maybe 15 minutes or so goes by. And one of them comes over and is like, Dad, can I have the keys? I was like, the keys for what? And he's like, oh, Mom said we can use our iPods. I was like, I already told you no. <laughs> you know, so going back to what I said earlier about consistency. And so mm -hmm. I had gone over to her. And I was like, we already had the conversation on the way here that they're not bringing them in. And one of the other moms says, well, what are they supposed to do? <laughs> like, that's, I'm oh, like, that's the problem man. right there. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. And so we, we ended up, we ended up playing like we, we were playing football. We were playing dodgeball, like in between games. It was a big, a big tournament. So she wasn't always playing. And then I had, cause it started with just myself and my boys. And then we probably had about 15 other kids <laughs> come over and join us. And we were just doing all different sports. We're doing all types of different challenges and games. And, and it's like, see, like not one of these kids is saying, God, I wish I had my iPod. And know that's like, brilliant. And, and I also want to say like, I love that you like helped organize a thing, but also like, it doesn't even have to be like that much effort. Yeah. Like what we can do is we can just say, sorry. Yeah. We don't have it now. And then they say, Oh, I'm bored. I have nothing to do. I'm bored. And all we have to say is, and, and, and I just want to let everyone know, like, it's good for kids to be bored. It's really good for kids to be bored because that's when their creativity sparks when they're mm -hmm. bored. And they have yeah. nothing to do. If you just fill up that time, they're never going to have that creativity moment. Like on our screen-free Sundays, that's when all the cardboard things were built and all that stuff. Like there were stick forts and all that kind of thing. Yeah. That would all happened on our screen-free Sundays. So you can tell your kids, yeah, we're not doing screens right now. Oh, I'm bored. Well, there's a wonderful quote that I like from Kim Payne, who wrote Simplicity Parenting. And he says, just say, there's something to do is right around the corner. And something to do is right around the corner. And they say, no, it's not. And we say, something to do is right around the corner. And you just become so boring that your kids, <laughs> they get out of the way and they go find something to do. But it's not your job yeah. to be their entertainer. It's yeah. not, that's not your job. When you let them board, that's when their creativity sparks. That's when they start to notice their environment. That's when they start to make up games. And that is like the best thing for kids' brain to like make up their own games and pretend mm -hmm. play and stuff. I love it. And that's my line with them. I just say, you use your brains. You know, that's all I say. <laughs> you just use your brains. It's like you guys can always figure it out. But my kids are all they're all pretty, pretty creative. So like they don't really throw around the beat the B word too much. And uh like I'll just tell them, all right, guys, you know, everything off, everything off. Like I'll give them am ample time, time to play because sometimes th their friends are online and they they connect yeah. that, that way. So I definitely give them ample time. And and um, going back to what you were saying about us, and uh, like I saw on your website, you know, a healthy relationship with your children begins with a healthy relationship to yourself. And it's one one of those things where like I still play my sports, you know. So like for me. My Sundays are, all right, you guys can play together, do what you got to do. And I, I'm in a softball league and in a volleyball league, and my games are on Sundays. And so, like, I'm an athlete. I'm a competitor. Like, it's, it's who I am. It's what makes me happy. And when I stopped doing it for the longest time there, like, I wasn't at, at my best. And I wasn't 
at the temperament that I'm at now. Like I'd, I'd be that person coming home from work, getting mad, mad at the world about everything. And it, it was because I wasn't being my authentic, true, true self. And it, it was mm-hmm. showing up. It would, and it was showing up. It was affecting my my parenting. And it wasn't until I was like, I can't do this anymore. And then I started working out again. I started training for track and field again. I started playing basketball again. And then all of a sudden, I be, I became that that fun. It's like I'm kind of like I'm strict-ish. I'm not as strict now as I was in my twenties, but I was able to still bring the fun back in and just wasn't mm-hmm. all business all the time. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And they need that. And that's so I love how you tell that story because so many people think, oh, to do this parenting thing, right. I have to like sacrifice myself. I have to give everything to my kids. And that's absolutely not true. And that will only deplete you and you'll be a crappy parent for your kids. Like that's a bad way of thinking. Don't (laughs) think that way. You do need like, and you don't want your kids to be your everything. Like it's you're you what you describe as taking care of yourself not only your body but your friendships and your mind and was the guy uh the raiders head coach yeah he just got exposed yeah it was like it's not like they don't exist but you can't put that on every single person and a lot of people do that and they'll see somebody who had a different path and they'll say well obviously you then blah 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 you went through this and you're just hiding it so that you can cater. Like, who, 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 who am I catering to? For what? I'm not getting anything extra. I'm, I'm speaking for me. I haven't gotten anything extra catering to the white man. I, I'm still waiting on this grift money everybody keeps talking about. Oh, you didn't get your grift bonus? No. <laughs> I haven't I, I, either. <laughs> I'm waiting. Because cause I get these people like, oh, they're just doing this to make money. And they don't really care about anything. And they are just doing it for the money. I posted a picture of one of the videos that I made two years ago, and it somehow, for some reason, started blowing up. Now, guess, guess how much money you got? Take a let guess. Me, let me guess. Zero. No, no, no. It got, it got some money, but just take a guess. Twelve bucks. Yeah, you warm. Fifteen bucks. <laughs> wow. Whoa, what a grifter! What? 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 I'm living lavish. You're <laughs> living lavish. <laughs> Christine is talking about Dave Dave Chappelle. Yes, they're trying to cancel him now from because of his Netflix special. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I watched it. It wasn't his best. I still laughed. There's a lot in there I didn't agree with, but that's yeah. natural. Yeah, and that's comedy. It is comedy. People can find it funny. People can not find it funny. Oh I'm not. Have you heard yeah. of Andrew Dice Clay? No. I know that's before your time, but he he was this white dude. He would come out and just say some outlandish stuff on stage. Like if if he was around now, <laughs> he oh, would he somebody would be like that. I don't think it exists. Him, George Carlin, like these are all older older school older school comedians. But like they were ruthless. Like nothing nothing was off limits with these guys. <laughs> but but that's the thing. When you go to a comedy show, that's what you talk about, you know. And but now all of a sudden it's just. You cannot make fun of this anything. group. Mm-hmm. You, you can, they, they'll laugh if you make fun of the white people. The blacks will kind of get angry if you talk about them. But you cannot talk about anyone in the LGBT community, especially the T's. And, and again, I disagreed with some of the things he said, like the turf thing. I, I, I wasn't really into that. I didn't see it yet. I, I recommend it. It's, there's going to be some parts you laugh at. There's going to be some parts where you might say, mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then overall, 
what I take away from it and what I've been taking away from like the last few specials is there's a conversation to be had. And yeah, everybody's got not everybody because of course everybody isn't going to, but people got to sit down and actually have some discourse. Because if you watch this and you just think transphobic, everyone who likes it is transphobic, they're all hating my existence. You're gonna walk away with a more negative mindset than when you walked in. If you're watching it and you hear what's being said, and then you actually think about some problems that actually exist and how people hold discourse. You would think, okay, there's a better way to hold conversation. This maybe wasn't the best way, but it could lead into that path of finding a better way to communicate issues. Yeah. Yeah. Like getting back to John Gruden, I'm pretty sure there's probably not one person on this planet that when they've been mad, they took a personal jab at someone. It's, it's, it's human nature. It, It just is. It's human nature. Like, I, I remember, like, I don't like onions at all. And I remember I got some, I ordered some food from the uh, Chinese place up, up the road. I specified no onions. I get it back. And I'm like, <sighs> you know, and I, 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 I may have said something stupid, but it, I was mad in the moment. I said something stupid. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean I hate Asians or I'm racist against Asians. In that moment, I was pissed and I said something stupid. <laughs> you know? and, so, and this dude said it a decade ago. And it's like, okay, he said what he said. It wasn't ignorant, yes, but it was also 10 years ago. No one knew that. That's the thing. And so now we got to make it this big controversy, which no one was supposed to either, though. It's not like he said it live on air. Like that was a private email that somebody made public. That's, That's a lot of things. Firstly, why did this private thing become public obviously we might know why because of the content in it mm. and then 10 years it's not even to sit there and say oh he was so young because i think he was in his 40s so he don't get a pass he don't get that oh i didn't i wasn't taught this like no it's just for me just fire or I, I believe he to resign. Yeah, cut him loose. Yeah, they you, they couldn't fire him for that because he he wasn't working for the NFL at that time. You 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 don't want him around. Cut him loose. Be gone. I wouldn't want that type of negativity, especially if it's private. If you're yeah. saying that privately back then, what have you been saying over the course of these last few years and more recently? No, oh, yeah, true. That's true. That that's true. Yeah, like it, go ahead. The thing about cancel culture my beef with it is when a lot of people do it and then act all high and mighty and then they get canceled and then not me not me i think people should be held accountable for things they've said should they never work again and end up on the street that depends on what it is because i will say a known i'm not gonna say the word a child toucher unconsensually i don't believe these people should have any say i believe they should be in jail i mean that's a different extreme than somebody making an ignorant comment though an ignorant comment i think people could come back from that sure you could shame them yeah but eventually you're going to have to allow somebody to grow and for somebody like john gruden you're in your 40s saying that and what you're in your 50s now Mm, 
Jesus Christ, you got you got a lot of maturity to go through. Yeah. But hopefully you do it. Hopefully you learn. I really don't want to see you in the NFL again because you suck as a head coach. <laughs> but go Broncos. Good. But it's it's just allow people that chance to grow because I see too many people demonize somebody to death, especially with like old tweets. You'll have this tweet from 2008 and it'll be a thing for the here and now in 2021 all because the person mad about it wasn't even born yet or didn't have a phone. And then they demonize the person all the way to the point where they just disappear and either don't come back or come back years later. It's like call them out. Sure. Shame them. Criticize them. Sure. Allow them that chance to grow, especially if it's something that old. Yeah. If you're digging up an old tweet, think about it. Are you allowing that person to have you thought to yourself that, hey, this person might have grown from this. This person may have said that ignorant thing back then, but maybe over time, this person has matured. This young kid saying all this dumb stuff now, maybe as a 25 year old, they've matured. Hopefully you really can't sell me on that with a 48 year old who's now 58. But. You can get me with like a younger kid turning into a twenty-year-old. Okay, un- understood. So, what are your what are your thoughts on this? So, like with a lot of this racist talk, or even just hate speech in general, like a lot of the marginalized groups say these things to each other. You know, and and so so it's just one of the things like we'll take with calling a woman a bitch. You know, where they call themselves that. Left and right, up and down. And rappers, rappers refer to them as bitches and hoes all day long. You know, but then like if you get into a fight with with, with your boyfriend, the boyfriend says, oh, you're being a bitch. And now it's like, she's all set to cut him over that. It's, it's like when you, you guys are being called that all day long. You know, it's the same. In the, it's a negative in the connotation. Community, in the black community, like in, in all the different the different communities. It's like everybody. It, it's okay that they attack each other. You know, kind of like, kind of like black on black crime. Like it, it's okay. that doesn't exist. It's okay if we kill each other, but if a white person does it, we need congressional hearings. We need rule changes. Well, of course, <laughs> because know? white people are oppressive. And first of all, black on black crime that does not exist. It's oh. never in the history of a human life ever existed. What, what, what's that? The news? Uh, what's that? Black person shot little girl no 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 that's just mm-hmm. obviously a white guy did that and yeah. that that it, it really pisses me off because what does it say about the words black lives matter if you're only gonna do the dance when the white person's around and not when the black person is around there, there's a list there's like a twitter thread of a bunch of different black people young old middle-aged teenagers kids who've been done in all different ways they've been done in. Nobody's known about them. They haven't gotten that same national coverage. Yep. What's the what was the thing from a couple weeks ago? The white missing person syndrome? Uh, white yeah. girls? Yeah, missing white woman syndrome. That pissed me off because it was a black person on national TV. Instead of giving people information about leads on the girl, decided to say, hey, y'all only care because she's white. That and was what, joy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what makes that even worse is that instead, it, while she was doing that, you got more people of color missing. 
And instead of saying, hey, we would appreciate your help, all these people on the screen, here's numbers where you could find their last locations or here's the number to the area they live in, call with any information. If you've seen them, report them. Instead of doing that, no, we got to spend all this time talking about mm -hmm. how we only care about a white woman. Yes, yeah, like you're in the media. And there, <laughs> there's a guy named, I, th I think his name was Jelani Day. He's been missing. They found him and his body was all fucked up. Like he had missing body parts Ooh. and organs. And it's like, where was Joanne Reed? Why, why am I, why, why in the hell am I seeing this on Twitter and I'm not seeing this broadcasted nationally? This is a missing mm -hmm. person. And you could spare me the, oh, well, there are a lot of missing people. Okay. There's a lot of news stations. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we can broad we can broadcast all these at different times. We can create a structure to where this is something we can talk about, and even on social media, this could be something we talk about more because you notice how uh, I don't know if this is for everybody, but Twitter put in a little tab in the search bar related to that virus that people can't talk about on YouTube because apparently mm -hmm. you spread misinformation. They yeah. put in a thing for that. They could also put in the thing for missing people. And you could even do the missing people of color if you want to play that game. Sure, yep. it's possible people not doing it. Yep. And but 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 we're at fault because apparently we only care about missing white people. Yeah. Yeah. The, pro the problem is we don't fucking know. Yeah, it's true. Like, I, I try to stress to my kids, the news shows you what they want you to see. That's what it boils down to. Like whatever. And the news stations, they're run, they're run by the politicians. So it's like, you know, there are some definitely left-leaning stations. There are definitely some right-leaning stations. So you're going to get the information that, co that corresponds with their political framework. Like you're not going to get the straight up facts or the straight up news of what's going on. And that's why things like that get swept right under the rug because we don't need to see that because that doesn't play to their narrative. And I hate that word, the narrative game, because why are we only jumping because of a narrative? Mm -hmm. you, you got all these people who chomp at the bit what, what it was, the, the, the recent school shooting, how it, how it started to circulate. Now everybody was like, oh, white people. We see that mugshot. He blacked it in my shirt. Then it's, oh, gone it's like yeah. why I, I don't i don't care about your narratives i care about people being okay like like you could and i say i've been saying this a lot recently and i hate it but i, I got to at this point you can call out the bad you can pick out that bad apple and throw it away it will not affect the entire community yeah. whether if it's a transgender doing something stupid a black man or woman some white kid asian kid whoever you can pick them out the group and throw them away. It's not that hard. Yeah. And, and people make it a thing of, oh, you're generalizing. And, and in some cases, people slip up and make it a thing of everybody. And so I think it's important to correct yourself. But, but when you see a bad, it's not rocket science. You're not doing calculus here. Just view it as a bunch of apples. And you see one just, just in, in his own lane, not really measuring up to the others. Pick it out. Throw it away. Yep. And, and it seems like with with the black community, it goes the other way. It's like we we embrace the bad apples, you know, like 
George Floyd has a statue up. It's like, I would like, like to see one of Chadwick Boseman. You know, like we lost him. And he was a very, very positive role model. Not trying trying to say what happened to, to George Floyd should have happened because he ab- that absolutely should not happen. There's also a lot more to that story, but we can save that for another day. But I saw I saw a commercial with all all of these celebrities, uh, all these fo- football players, I should say, NFL players, talking about you know I. I could have been George Floyd. I could have been George Floyd. I could have been George, George Floyd. Like, don't don't you see a little bit of yourself in George Floyd? I was like, um, no, <laughs> not even a little bit. It's like, I don't do drugs. I don't try to buy things with counter, counterfeit money. I don't re- resist the police. I'm like, I don't do any any of that stuff. So no, I cannot see myself in his shoes. Like, just because we have this the same skin tone means that all yes. of a sudden we're we're just one now it's like yes. no he he made a series of decisions that led to that moment happening and now yeah Cho- chauvin definitely took it too too far you know mm-hmm. and it ended up in ruining both of their their life well ending george's and ruining his but there were a series of, of decisions that made that whole thing play out and i don't make decisions like that so no i do not isn't it weird how when when something like that happens, apparently we're all lumped under that same threshold. Like I saw recently yeah. how the cop who shot Jacob Blake isn't gonna be like charged. And I was like, good. He yeah. didn't do nothing. He, he, nope. and, and I saw all these people, well, I could have been Jacob Blake. I don't think you want to be Jacob Blake. <laughs> if you real. actually know about what was going on with Jacob Blake, I don't think you want to be Jacob Blake. I don't think anybody should aspire to be like Jacob Blake. Exactly. It's unfortunate what happened to him. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. At the end of the day, that's not really the circumstances I'm going to put myself in. Exactly. See, that's the key sentence. Not the circumstances I'm going to put myself in. Goes back to that personal accountability. Like my my son, my older son, he had a running because he and his girlfriend got drunk and started beating up on each other. And I I shouldn't I, I shouldn't say that because he he didn't hit her. And uh, cause she she would she would have told me if you did, <laughs> cause I asked her straight up. So if she hit him, she, I'm pretty sure she would have told me. But 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 anyway, they had a they had a domestic disturbance, and so he comes back here, trying to give me the the sob story of what she did. I said no. I said you you let this happen. And he's like no, but she this and she that. I said no, you let this happen. You put yourself in a position for that to happen, you know and. It's like people have such they have such a hard time with that with that personal accountability piece, and things are never gonna gonna change as long as people keep finger pointing. It's craziness, but all right, we're gonna break this down soon. So, uh, you want to give us some final words? I think as final words, anybody watching this, no matter what it is you want to do, I don't care what you want to do. You want to be a streamer, a YouTuber, a radio host, podcaster, stripper. Whatever it is, put your best foot forward. Like, of course, there's going to be hurdles. Life ain't easy. Duh. You can jump through them. You you can overcome any obstacle on the path to your own greatness. All you got to do is try. You're not going to get nowhere if you don't try. If you're going to sit there, just lay back and just be like, you know what? Life sucks. I can't do anything. I'm ashamed. I'll never succeed. Congratulations. Live your life as a failure. If you actually hope to succeed, you got to try. 
Exactly. You got you got to try and you got to persevere. You got to just keep keep going because like like you said, it's not it's not going to be easy. And that's why we talk about about this stuff because there there are obstacles out there. There are things that are going to try to block your path. There are people that are going to try to clip your wings and, and hold you back. But that's where you you have to take the personal accountability. You have to be strong enough and have a, have enough resilience and strength to get through it. And then once you do that, what you're waiting for is right on the other side of that. So, Leon, thank you very much for taking the time to join me. This, this was an awesome conversation, and maybe we'll collaborate again in the future. All right. I had and, fun. Uh, well, was I as boring as we thought I was going to be? Was I as quiet? We went, we went 18 minutes over, so apparently not. <laughs> All right. Let, pe- let people know where they can find you. And you can only find me in one key place. If you go on YouTube.com, hit the search bar, type in my name right there, Ruin Leon, you'll see the most grifting black person on planet Earth, but you'll also see the sexiest black man on YouTube. How could you not like this beautiful face? You love it, don't you? Of course you do. And that's where you can find me. <laughs> Oh, one last thing. Technically, I can't do anything because I got no money for gas to do DoorDash and my phone will be short tomorrow, so I can't work. But I'm trying to stay positive. So I want you, Christina, we're going to end with this. I want you to write down everything that you're good at, right? Absolutely everything that, that you're good at. And then pick whatever, from that list, pick whatever you're the most passionate about that you can teach to someone else. And then start teaching someone else. It's that that simple. And you know what? In these situations, it really is best to try to think with the positive. You, you, there's gonna be the moments where, I'm be honest, shit sucks, and it'll be a constant of things sucking. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be that way, that little avenue you could get your way out of. Because when it came to me, I'm be honest, I had no idea how I was going to pick up all my things and move like three states over. I had no clue. And I figured out a little curve and a little cut through. And it, it benefited me. And I'm able to sit here and say, hey, I moved from one state to another state. And now it's just like, oh, I like this. <laughs> Get that warm weather all the time, too. It, it, isn't it beautiful? Even though now it's starting to get a little cool, but it's not getting freezing cold. I love it. Yeah, listen, I'm from New, I'm from New England. Don't be talking to me about cool. What are you talking about? I, 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 I used to freeze. Look, 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 look. I understand there's snow. I, I don't do no snow. I'm black. I, I, I can't do snow. <laughs> I take my kid. I take my kid sledding once every winter. One time. See, see, you see all that? I can't do that. I, I gotta stay toasty warm. I, I can't do none of that. See, when when you cold, you shiver. You get goosebumps. You gotta put on like fifteen different pairs mm-hmm. of clothes. See, when, when you hot, all you got to do is drink water. That's all you got to do. It's true. <laughs> all right, man. Have yourself a good day. Thanks again for joining. Like I said, and we'll uh, see you soon. No problem. All Thanks right, for having me. My pleasure. Take care. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. 
To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com slash speaks on Instagram at Robert underscore B underscore Foster on Twitter at RBF underscore fitness and on Facebook at Robert B. Foster till next time. Shut up.